0: for a moment. You said, how can I stand up and pass the offering plate? But I knew what was coming, and I knew you couldn't sit down singing the last part of that song. What a joy it is to sing with hope and confidence that because God lives, because Jesus Christ is victorious, we can face uncertain days. The Old Testament is an unfolding narrative. It's one story, really, of the activity of God among His people. And as you think about that one story, it's filled with chapters and episodes. And one of the most thrilling of all of them is the Exodus story. I want to invite your attention to Matthew chapter 26. You say, well, that has nothing to do with the Exodus story. Oh, yes, it does. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to look at a Passover meal that Jesus shared with His disciples. In fact, it was the final Passover meal that He would share. And it was the institution of the Lord's Supper. But in the Exodus account, we know the story. God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Literally, for generations, they'd been crying out. Imagine that with me for a moment. People were born in slavery. They lived and worked their entire lives as Egyptian slaves and they died there. They cried out to the Lord decade after decade, but God had promised that this would be so. If you went back to Genesis 15, He said that they would be held captive for 400 years, but He promised deliverance. So they knew that there was a point of hope. They looked forward with eager expectation to a deliverer who would come and lead them out of slavery. And we know that God in His sovereignty and in His timing heard their cries and raised up a man named Moses. Yet there was an antagonist. There was one who stood between the people of God and their freedom, and his name was Pharaoh. Pharaoh and the Egyptians stood between their deliverance. And you know that God began to send plagues, He sent 10 of them to Egypt. One by one, the plagues came. He turned the waters of the Nile into blood. And as he turned the waters of the Nile into blood, all the the water supply there of Egypt was turned to blood. Can you imagine the horrific stench and can you imagine the mess? And when God turned that plague around and the blood was turned back into water, Pharaoh would begin to loosen his grip and then he would harden his heart and God even hardened his heart. And he said, no, I will not let them go. Plague after plague, flies and frogs and boils and darkness and pestilence, all came upon the Egyptians. And we come to the tenth and final plague. You know the story of the plague. That was death to the firstborn of all of Egypt. And the provision made by God was a gift that we continue to look back upon with an incredible sense of awe and wonder. You see, God said, if you will take a spotless lamb, one that is unblemished, and you will sacrifice it to me and do exactly as I tell you and take the blood and put the blood on the post on the sides of the door and across the frame of the door, when the death angel comes through Egypt, he will pass over those homes. In fact, we know by the account of the Exodus that many Egyptians also took God at His word and they sacrificed and they put blood upon the doorpost because it says they went with the Israelites when they were set free. Well, we know when the death angel came through and death came to all of the firstborn, even the livestock of Egypt, Pharaoh's grip was broken and he sent them away. And they went out and they left and they entered into their time of wandering in the wilderness. But they were set free. And from that point forward, they began to celebrate a meal together. And every single year, they would celebrate what we know as the Passover I wish we had time to just explore that. In future sermons, we'll deal with it. If you can imagine the judgment of God passed over the people. Literally, there's a great picture of that. He passed over the people and His judgment rested upon the Lamb. Well, they would celebrate that Passover. So that brings us forward now to Matthew 26. And we see Jesus with His disciples celebrating Passover. And yet he's going to give them something new. He's going to add some, uh, some clarity to this picture of this celebration, this remembrance, if you will. And so as we look at this together, we see that the Passover was a celebration of God's activity. You see, he gave his word and he makes provision. And when the people obey, he saved them. They were Through the sacrifice of the Lamb and the shedding of the blood spared. For millennia, the people of God would look back and then they would also look forward to a deliverer. In Matthew 26, we come to verse 17. And we see Jesus about to institute this new celebration. Look with me there. Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just as Jesus directed them. And they prepared the Passover. Look at verse 20. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And look at the first few words of verse 21. As they were eating. So they're celebrating this Passover meal. They are looking backwards at what God had done there in Egypt to deliver His people. It was a meal that also would look forward with great hope for deliverance into the future. And after this, it says that while they were there eating, Jesus took some bread... And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. I want you to see this. Again, we don't have time wrapped up in one service. We will unpack some of these thoughts together later. We will spend some time drilling into this and and looking at it with, with maybe a little more earnest look. But he blessed it. He set it apart. He said, this is my body. That was new to them. That was different to them. They had looked back to the the sacrifice of a lamb there in Egypt that would cause the death angel to pass over, and yet he says, this is my body. He offers a blessing. Don't lose those words. It says that he offered a blessing and then broke it and gave it to the disciples. Verse 27, when he had taken a cup and given thanks. Don't lose that either. So first he offers a blessing and then he gives thanks. For us today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I pray that we would set this apart and it would not be a common thing, that we would not just rush through this. I know a lot of churches that will go through the act of the Lord's Supper and they tag it on at the end of the service and it just becomes a ritual that we go through. No, 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 we can't do that. Jesus blessed the bread. He said, this is my body. And He took the cup and He took that cup and He gave thanks for it. Now, you and I read this story with historical perspective. We know what is about to happen. We know what Jesus would endure in the coming hours. They did not know that. They couldn't fully see it, but they would come to see it. Think about it with me. You and I knew, uh, know now that uh, what He knew then, we knew that the trials were coming, that the mockery was coming, that the beatings, the scourging. The crucifixion was coming. We knew that death would come to Jesus, and Jesus blessed this bread and gave thanks for this cup. If we just pause for a moment and think about that, He gave thanks, and it wasn't conditional or circumstantial. I believe oftentimes, Hardy Street, that our thanksgiving is proportionate to our level of comfort. At times, we don't thank God when things aren't going well. And Jesus looked at His own death as the provision of God for salvation and thanked Him for it. Wow. That's unsettling. That that should be moving to us this morning. Stirring. Jesus blessed it and He gave thanks for it. What I want to do this morning just very briefly is to give you Four powerful truths as we look at these truths together that come from the observance of the Lord's Supper. You see, the Old Testament saints were looking to celebrate a Messiah to come, looking forward, but you and I celebrate the Messiah by looking back at what He did through His death, burial, and resurrection. Number one, I want you to see this. We have a sacrifice to remember. We have a sacrifice to remember. I want you to hear this. Maybe this is confessional for my own heart. I don't know about you, but it's easy in the busyness of life to forget things. It's easy in the busyness and the bustling of life to take some things for granted. And my request of you for just these next few moments is that you would press pause on life, on the worries that you left at home. You would press pause for a moment And you would consider with me the sacrifice of Jesus. You would consider with me the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, He gave His disciples and us this very practice for us to reflect upon the glory of His accomplishment. Let me say that again. Jesus, through instituting this Lord's Supper, gave for His disciples and for you and me uh, an, uh, an instrument, a practice through which we could reflect on the glory of His accomplishment. In fact, Luke 22 in Luke's account and then in 1 Corinthians where Paul speaks about the night of Jesus' crucifixion. They both said, do this in remembrance of me. I love that word, remembrance. It's a memorial word. It means calling back to mind a vivid experience from the past. Let let me explain that for just a moment in a couple of ways. This week, as we gathered around the family table, we told stories. Anybody else here tell family stories? Stories that we've heard over and over again. I knew that after we reached that state of turkey coma, I mean just right at the end where things are just about to go hazy and we're all going to end up horizontal somewhere laid out, we began to tell some of the funny family stories. And you know the ones you can just tell the punchline. You don't even have to set it up and everybody laughs together. It's calling to mind a vivid memory. This week we had a memorial service. We've had several over the past several months, but we had a memorial service this week, and we remembered the life of one of our own. And in doing so, we recounted stories of her life and the impact that her life had on our lives. And here, when we come to this table, it's about remembering, it's about calling to remembrance the sacrifice of Jesus. We, we had an opportunity as a family yesterday to go. My uncle makes cane syrup. It's kind of a lost and dying art. And I remember walking up to that cane mill and they had already started cooking off that syrup. And the smells that wafted up just immediately took me back to a time as a child when I'd go to my great-grandfather's and my grandfather's and we would go to the neighborhood farm where one man made syrup and they would have mules pulling. And, and that smell just immediately caused me a remembrance. Every time we take this bread and this cup, it's far more than just the senses of our taste. It ought to call to mind the sacrifice of Jesus. We have a sacrifice to remember. In fact, Alan Redpath said it this way. I want to give you a quote. It'll be hard to see maybe on the screen, but I just want to read this to you. It is the one who has given something for us at Calvary, asking each of us to remember his death, to put at the very center of our Christian experience... It is He who loves us, even unto death, calling us out of the busyness and often the barrenness of our pressure and work, that we might wait upon Him in the stillness of our hearts and worship Him. He points us back, not to His life or His example, but to that which is at the very center or very heart of the Christian gospel, the atonement of the cross, the finished work of Calvary and the open tomb. So this is what we will do here together in the next few moments. Don't just go through the motions, but reflect. Call to mind the sacrifice of Jesus. Reflect on the fullness of that sacrifice, the weight of what it means. Again, I wish that we just had time to to spend time. And I'm not belaboring that point. I want to respect your time. But Jesus said, this is my body. Oh, we could spend time thinking about that incredible theological doctrine of the incarnation. Jesus, the infinite, became finite. Jesus, the eternal, stepped into time. Jesus, the creator, comes into the world of his own creation, not as a glorious, reigning, splendorous king on a white horse with conquering armies, but as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And he says to them, this is my body. When you begin to think about what you're going to partake together as a covenant community here in a moment, think about the body of Jesus that was given for us out of His eternal nature. He took on flesh and gave that perfect sinless body to be broken for us and our salvation. When I think about the sacrifice of Jesus, I'm overwhelmed. The Bible says in Colossians, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and He offered that body for us. He fulfilled the law perfectly and His body was broken so that you and I might be saved. And then when we take the cup, when He took the cup, He gave thanks for it, recognized His love. Oh, as we heard Romans 5, 8, He demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, He didn't wait till we cleaned up our act. He didn't wait till you got it all together. Jesus died for you. He went to Calvary's cross on our behalf so that we might have life. I have to share this. I have a dear friend who's a pastor. His name is Vance. And Vance shared with me a truth some time ago about this very thought. Many times we think Jesus died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. You ever thought that thought? Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus died on the cross because you couldn't. If you died for all of eternity, you would never have the righteousness in and of yourself to satisfy the wrath of God for one single solitary millisecond. But Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died on our behalf so that we would not have to face the eternal death that was ours without Christ. When I begin to think, hallelujah. He's the only one qualified to die for me and for you. He's the sufficient substitute. His perfect body, His perfect blood, broken and spilled out. You and I, what is our condition before the Lord without Christ, outside of the love of God, outside of the act of the cross? Helpless hopeless, damned, doomed, and lost. And that sounds like fire and brimstone until you realize that this sacrifice was given because of the love of Jesus for you. He loves you that much. And today I'm asking you to pause, reflect, remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Number two, I want you to see that we have a reason to give thanks. We've already tread all around it, but... The Bible says in verse 27, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave thanks for his own death, his own provision. We have much to be thankful for as a people, but nothing greater than this, that Jesus willingly went to the cross, that Jesus willingly was the sacrifice, and he prayed for the Father to be be glorified. He prayed in his humanity, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass, but not my will, yours be done, and we have a reason He gave thanks. Number three, I want you to see this. We have a story to share. I I don't know about you, but I love it when I see new things in Scripture that I had not seen before. And this just jumped out at me. I had a couple of things this week, but in verse 28 it says, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I, I want you to look at that word many for just a moment. That word many is the word "polon" in the Greek, and it's close to a word that we get the word metropolis. It, it means innumerable. It's used all throughout the, Old, uh, the New Testament. It's why in Mark 16, he would tell them to go and preach the gospel to all of the world. And here's why. You see, in this room, without historical perspective, there's only 11 men. Judas has already left. There aren't many in the room. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, given so that many may experience the forgiveness of sins. They didn't understand in that small room, Lord, there's not many of us. There's just a small number. And Jesus was preparing them and He's preparing you and me to say that the forgiveness of sins is available to whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And we have a story to tell. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we proclaim the death of our Lord and we look forward with great hope to the victory that we have because of His resurrection in His coming again. I want you to see this. We take the Lord's Supper together and proclaim the Gospel. I don't have anything else to preach to you but the Gospel. Not popular psychology, not my opinion, not current events or politics. If I stand in this pulpit and preach anything else but the Gospel of Jesus Christ and I have abdicated my position as a preacher, God called me to preach the Gospel. He called me to teach people and to preach to people that Jesus saves We've a story to tell and that story is yours and mine. He gave it to all of them and He gives it to us. The good news, the glorious good news, Jesus saves. As we think about this idea of the gospel, God in Christ didn't just restore us to a position to which Adam held before the fall. If that was the case, we would be seeing the best of Man's righteousness, (laughs) because Adam fell. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says this, He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Pause and reflect on that for a moment, church. When God looks upon you and me in Christ, we are seen as righteous as the Son of God. Every time we celebrate this supper, We preach the glorious good news. Number four, we have a promise to celebrate. We have a promise to celebrate, a sacrifice to remember, a reason to give thanks, a story to share, and a promise to celebrate. Look with me in verse 29. In verse 29, very simply, Jesus says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until that day. When I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What day is he talking about? Underline or circle that day. Well, those of you that have been with us for the last several weeks, we've looked at 1 Thessalonians and we marched right through 1 Thessalonians 4 and it talked about that day. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, when we are alive, uh, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Let me just simply say this. We come today to celebrate a meal in His honor. Put your pew belt on. One day we will celebrate a feast in His presence. Jesus promised them, knowing the cross was coming, I'm not going to do this again with you until that day, but oh, when that day comes, we will celebrate. I long for that day. But until then, I want to share with you this table. I want us to very simply stop and partake of the the symbolic representation of the body of Jesus broken for our sin and the blood spilled for our atonement, our sacrificial lamb. Now church, I need to say a couple of final things just very quickly. The Apostle Paul gave instruction on this table And in giving instruction, he said, you need to examine yourself. What what that literally means is to test with questions. That's literally the construct of the language. And so you need to ask yourself some questions for just a moment. The very first question, I want to challenge everybody here to ask and answer. Do I know God? Do I know God? There are many here that are trying to go through rituals like this one, you see, they, they say, well, it's Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus the Lord's Supper, Jesus plus church attendance. No, it's Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus alone that saves. And if you don't know God, it doesn't matter how many times you go through the rituals of church, what you need is not a ritual, but a relationship. You don't need a ceremony. You need a Savior. And so today, if you've not been saved, I call upon you to trust Jesus Christ. Come to Him. He loves you. He spilled His blood for you. Second question. Paul said there were many who had fallen ill and even died because they took of this supper in an unworthy manner. That ought to bring some gravity to the situation. This isn't just a flippant ritual. There's a depth to this, a weightiness. Here's the question. Is there anything between me and God that's not right? A habit, a grudge, some attitude, some area of disobedience that's willful, some area of neglect that you know that God has called you to do? Do I know God? am I right with God? And thirdly, am I right with God's people? In asking yourself those questions, is there someone to whom I owe an apology? I need to ask forgiveness. Is there someone for whom I'm continually holding an offense that I've taken up? You see, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Again, we could camp out for a little while. What does that mean? He took on every lustful thought. He took on every selfish notion. He took on every gossiping word. He took on every horrible prejudice or bigotry. He took on all of the junk in your life, all of your sin, all of my sin, all the sin of the world, and He hung there suspended between heaven and earth because of His love. For the glory of God the Father and His love for you and for me. Do you know God? Are you right with God? Are you right with God's people? I'm going to call our deacons to the front. They're going to distribute the elements this morning as they're coming forward now. I want to give you opportunity. We're just going to, in silence, pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Ask and answer those questions before the Lord. Push, pause, and reflect. Is there something between you and the Lord, something between you and the Lord's people that's keeping you from being able to celebrate this table? Father, today we're grateful. We're thankful for the privilege and opportunity we have to share in this. Lord, we receive together now the elements of your table, instituted in front of your disciples, knowing full well the cross was to come and giving us a glorious hope as we consider the sacrifice that you made and we look forward to the promise of your return. Help each person this morning, Lord, to examine themselves in Jesus' name. Amen.